This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. I keep my bras in a little drawer in a nightside table, stacked horizontally, cup against cup. I can flick through them like cards in a Rolodex, each one telling a different story from my past as my fingers move over the fabric. I wrote an essay about it. I called it A Life in Eight Bras. But you know what? I've got another essay to write. A Life in Eight Aprons. My aprons don't have a place of their own like my bras. They're all over the place, hanging on hooks, tucked into drawers. I even have a few layered between mixing bowls in the cupboard left there after I used them to cushion the Pyrex as they traveled to a photo shoot. But each apron has a story and a purpose. There's the hot pink linen apron from my days working in a ceramic shop in Notting Hill. I swept the sidewalk in that long apron. I dusted dishware and made sails. I wore it over jeans and my white converse peeked out of the bottom. Then there's the fog linen gray striped apron I wore on the first season of the cooking show I host, Love Food. I had two so I could switch them up in case of, you know, disasters. The sound equipment stuck on the underside of the top part of that apron and it rippled the fabric a little. And I remember it rained a lot that summer and my hair was untamable in an 80s rock kind of way. The linen provided that perfect balance. Then there's the waxy bright blue short apron from season two. The one that gets better with age. The pockets hold notes, my phone, Kleenexes, pens, and sometimes my clenched fists. Or how about the elegant pale blue bistro linen apron that sits on the hips, no upper bit, and flows down to my shins. It was a gift from a food photography workshop I attended last year. I save it for those special moments when I don't need a pocket for my tools or my phone. And of course there's the multiple plain white aprons from cooking school days and swag bags. The cotton blend kind that wash well. They're workhorses. I put on an apron every time I cook. It sets me up, switches the vibe, changes the subject, and it keeps me clean, a barrier between mess and order. When it's on, I get into the food, I make a mess, I wipe my hands on my apron, or I wipe the counter with it. Then I take it off and boom, I'm clean. Flowing with inertia is my goal in my domestic life. Not having to move backwards to spot wash my shirt is critical. In my experience, chef wore coats. Aprons were for the home. It's a weird divide, but one I never questioned. But lately that's changed. The apron has made its way into the chef world thanks to dynamos like Ellen Bennett. And not even just chefs, but potters and bakers and painters and sculptors and all kinds of people that make stuff wear our aprons. Caterers, bat mitzvah parties, you name it, they're wearing it. Today on The Food Podcast, I talk with Ellen Bennett, founder of Headley & Bennett, a lifestyle chefwear company for chefs. Ellen shares her apron story. It's not a life in eight aprons like mine, more like a Willy Wonka-inspired story that starts small and grows into an epic tale where today thousands of aprons are produced in a factory fueled by grit, love, rainbows, and hugs. So the story is big. It's colorful, and it all begins in Los Angeles, where she was born and bred. But first, New York. Oh, 
It's the Cherry Bomb Magazine Annual Jubilee, April 2016. Picture it, a big, beautiful room with arch ceilings and etched glass windows. 350 women, well, mostly women, are perched on chairs, pens in hands. Four CEOs, Christina Minardi of Whole Foods, Jody Berg of Vitamix, Amanda Hesser of Food 52, and Katrina Markoff of Voges, are seated in the front of the room, awaiting for their moderator, Ellen Bennett. She's going to moderate a conversation on how to be the boss. Just then, Beyoncé fills the room, and Ellen Bennett, wearing a wide-brim floppy hat and striped shirt, dances to the front, arms in the air. We all stand up, we're dancing, we're clapping. It was awesome. I guess it's no surprise this 28-year-old self-proclaimed apron lady has a 14,000-square-foot apron factory in Vernon near downtown L.A., She says it was really bad when they bought it, but the bones were good. They painted the exterior walls red, yellow, and blue and wrote giant quotes inside saying stuff like, everything tastes better with butter. Julia Child. Her office is in a treehouse and there's a zip line in there. Oh, I always say I'm like a maniac hooligan. I'm a special person. I don't know. I'm just sort of crazy, but in a good way. I think that a lot of people that are doing crazy things in the world have a little string of craziness in them, but not not in a bad way. I think that being different and unique is awesome. And I think embracing it is what makes somebody better because you are you and you can only be as awesome as you want to be. But that's you, right? So it's like way easier to be yourself than copy other people for your whole life. So I just embraced that at a young age and said, I'm a kooky, goofball, hooligan lady that loves to run around and jump around. And that's who I am. So I'm going to own it. So that's what I'm doing, owning it. Well, the room loved it. I Well, I loved it. I don't know. It was so great. It was really great. And, you know... That kind of event can be, I guess, can be vanilla. Yeah. You made it spicy. <laughs> I know. I'm half Mexican too. So definitely like blame that a little bit on my Latino roots because I'm half Mexican, half English. So, you know, on one end, I'm totally, I was brought up really conservatively on my dad's side, but then on my mother's side, I was a maniac and I would run around Mexico barefoot playing soccer with kids on dirt streets. And then in LA, I would have Walker's cookies with my grandfather and drink tea. So it was very unusual combo. And I have to say, I would much rather be running around the streets of Mexico barefoot playing soccer. So is is he the Headley or the Bennett? He is the Headley. He is Headley. And then Bennett is my last name and also my nickname at Providence where I used to work. And I think a great representation of myself in the company. So if you look at our our aprons and our whole culture, it's very like vibrant and colorful and sort of quirky and, and loud. And there is an underlying tone of like dignified elegance and a timelessness to the everything. And that is definitely Headley. So sometimes my marketing team is like, okay, we got we to gotta make it a little bit more Headley, Ellen. And I'm like, all right, all right, fine. Rain it in. <laughs> Ellen's parents divorced when she was fairly young, so she threw herself into parenting roles early by helping her mother raise her little sister. She walked her to school. She applied for an extension on her mother's credit card so she could do the grocery shopping. She got recipes off the internet and taught herself to cook so there would be food when her mom got home from work. As I started doing that, I really fell in love with the whole world of cooking, and I loved watching people's faces when they 
eat my food and be so excited and happy about it. And that just gave me such a sense of joy. And I loved it. So I was like, I'm going to be a chef when I grow up. After high school, Ellen struck a deal with her dad. She'd go to restaurant management school at a culinary school in Mexico, which she tells me is muchos cheaper. Then she'd learn how to cook in a professional kitchen, if he'd foot the bill. He said yes. A year later, she completed the program and landed a job at Providence, a two-Michelin-star restaurant in Los Angeles. And this is where it gets interesting. We already know she has the chops to take initiative in life. But what about the apron bit? So I got this job at Providence as a cook, like just line cook, bottom of the barrel, and was working my buns off there. And while I was doing that, and even while I was going to culinary school, actually, I was like, gosh, our uniforms really suck, like really bad. And they, everybody looks terrible and nobody feels great and nobody looks great. And as a sort of color side story, while I was going to culinary school, I was a model and I like announced the lottery for Mexico on TV five days a week. If there was ever a time I wished I had asked for elaboration, it was here. But I didn't, damn it. So the story of how Ellen became a model announcing the lottery for Mexico will have to wait until next time. So I had this like very sort of glamorous side hustle that I did while I was going to culinary school, which was very unglamorous. And so, you know, imagine going from like long hair, extensions, eyelashes, one hour makeup sessions before going on TV. Going from that to like being a line cook making $10 an hour and getting your ass handed to you and feeling looking terribly. And so I thought, this is weird. Like, why can't we merge this? Why can't you look awesome in the kitchen and then feel awesome too and do better at what you do? And so that was the whole premise of Headley and Bennett. And now, you know, it's evolved into a whole brand and lifestyle world that I've sort of created, which is my own version or interpretation of Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, except that we make aprons in Los Angeles. I really wanted it to be super special and happy, and but not just happy, like happy and hustling, because it takes a lot of hard work to make dreams come true. So it's sort of like, let's all work hard, but let's also make some shit happen. So Ellen was the CEO of the family and now her own company. I'm pretty sure when I was 15, I was lying around watching Melrose Place and Oprah. At 15, Ellen was grocery shopping. Yeah, I was a little lazy, but on the flip side, is there a price to pay for growing up so fast? I think that it was sort of a double-edged sword. On one side, it was amazing because my mom let me. So she sort of said, okay, you can do that. Go for it. And because she gave me that much liberty, I feel like not only did I not fail, I excelled at it. And it gave me a tremendous boost of confidence that I could pretty much do anything that I wanted anywhere. Because if I could do that, I could do anything. There were moments in my life that I'll never forget. One time she went out of town and I remember sponge painting her bedroom yellow because I wanted to do that for her. And instead of being like, this is so fucked up, like how dare you sponge paint my bedroom yellow? She was like, okay, this is nice, thank you. She's like this little Mexican lady. So that was it, that was her reaction. And so that fueled the fire of Ellen Bennett to say, okay, I'm gonna just be a creative maniac and do everything and anything. And then on the flip side, it kind of sucked for me as a child because I was not a child. I was being an adult. I was running the household. So that was not pleasant, I guess you could say. But 
now that I am an adult and I have a factory that looks like a little kid put it together, but a little kid with like really great design sense and money, that's awesome. Because now I get to do all the things that I wanted to do when I was little, but that I'm now doing as an adult, but with the mindset of a kid, which is the best way to be because I think that kids are amazing. They think way out of the box, so that's awesome. Ellen's dad is a pilot for American Airlines. He moved to Texas when he and her mother divorced, and they'd see each other now and again. He'd check in with Ellen from time to time. He was pleasant, I'd say, but not present. Ellen says the relationship only fueled her fire. A lot of people, even my own sister, thinks of it as like, oh, poor us, we didn't have a dad. And on the contrary, for me, I took it as an opportunity to be that much stronger and say, nope, I can do whatever I want and I can do it on my own and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to be independent and I'm going to get married one day and marry somebody that I love not because I need them financially, but because I love them and I'll always be financially solvent on my own. Like I literally clearly remember having made that decision when I was about 15 years old. I literally remember saying to myself, I will make it on my own so that when I marry someone, I marry them because I love them, not because I, I need to. My mom had to pay for everything for us and it wasn't easy breezy. It was a struggle for her. And so I just thought I never want to be in those shoes ever. Renee Lavallee, a local chef here in Nova Scotia, just posted a picture on her Instagram feed wearing one of Ellen's aprons at Canada House in London. The Headley and Bennett website is filled with images of famous chefs wearing her aprons. April Bloomfield in denim with a splash of red, Nancy Silverton in baby blue stripes, Mario Batali in his signature orange. It's so far from the flame-retardant, scratchy chef coat and bad, oh-so-bad, gray-check pants I wore in chef school. It must make Ellen happy seeing what she calls the apron squad, representing her wares loud and proud. But she says, quite practically, it also just makes sense that aprons have made their way into the professional kitchen. It's not just trendy. I think that all other gear in the chef world is sort of not as trendy as an apron. And not because it's trendy, but just because it logically makes sense to have a nicer apron. There's nothing trendy about it. It's more just like revolutionary, which sounds a little bit ridiculous, but it's actually true. Because if you think about it, the things you need in a kitchen very essentially are a knife, an apron, and maybe a chef coat, but you could pretty much make it in a kitchen and maybe clogs, right? So you don't have knives stabbing your feet, but you could pretty much walk into a kitchen and secure some sort of a job of some sort with a knife and an apron and maybe a chef coat, depending on the level of the kitchen. But these days, not even. So if you think about how important it is, why not have a great knife, right? So then why not have a great apron? It was so overlooked for so long that now people are just coming to their senses on it. One of Ellen's favorite mottos is, if the front door isn't open, climb through the window. It reminds me so much of Sarah Blakely's story. She's the founder of Spanx, the intimate apparel company from Atlanta, Georgia. She saw a need for butt smoothing and lifting undergarments and figured out how to make it happen all by herself. I once read that early on when she first pitched to Neiman Marcus, she sensed the buyer was losing interest in the meeting, so she pulled the buyer into the ladies' room, tucked into a stall, and gave her the before-and-after Spanx in-person sales pitch. It worked, obviously. Ellen employs these moves 
all the time. There was another time I was actually at a really big food event. I won't mention which one, but it was one of the biggest in the country. And I really wanted to get in and see the chef. And so I went through the back door and found an entrance and literally sneaked my way into the kitchen through the back door with an apron on so that nobody would stop me. And I like managed to get myself in front of the person that I wanted to get in front of and caused a ruckus because I did that. And everyone was like, how did she get in? I don't understand. And so just like being crafty and being scrappy, I think is an entrepreneur's biggest asset because you don't see the wall. You just walk right the hell through it. But when was the moment she, metaphorically, pulled the sales rep into the bathroom stall and tried on a pair of Spanx and scored a deal with Neiman Marcus? One of the moments that was sort of humongous for me, now it's not so humongous, but at that moment it was a big ass deal, was when we had Alton Brown contact us maybe six months into starting Headley and Bennett. Alton Brown was like, we'd love to do a collaboration with you. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? When they told me that he wanted to do a collaboration and that, you know, I had sent him a few designs that I really loved. And he was like, these are incredible. I love it. It's the best apron I've ever worn. And that was just such a like, holy mother of the Lord. This is insane. I can't believe this is happening. That was a really, really big deal. And it also, again, like my mother allowing me to sponge paint her bedroom yellow was sort of a moment where I said, oh, wow, your designs aren't crazy. This actually does look good. Someone is vouching for you. And then the more vouch fors that I got, the stronger and more confidently I felt. Because when I started Headley and Bennett, believe it or not, it was very much black and blue and gray colored aprons. And the more our aprons sold online, I was like, well, what about a yellow apron? What about a red one? What if we do it with the pockets? What if we do it with the contrast? What if we change the straps? What if? And then it was just like someone opened the floodgates and I just got crazy creative on all fronts because I was building up my own feeling that I could do it, I guess. It's all in your head half the time. It's just you deciding you can and then you just do it. There are many sides to the apron business. The climbing through windows, managing a team, branding, PR, customer service, hustling... But there's also the other side, the tangible, creative side. In cooking, a lot of it is very based on senses and smell and feel and look and taste and texture. If you sort of translate that into aprons or fabric, as I did, it's on the same vein. It's on the same, like, wavelength. And so... When I got my first order, that was literally how I figured it out. Imagine warehouses where there's no aisles, but the aisles that exist are made by fabric. So there's literally heaps of fabric on both sides of you, and you're just walking down the aisles, and you can get lost in these aisles of fabrics. And so I would just go along the aisle, touching every fabric along the way, and think, like, that's too heavy, that's too light, this one needs to be a little bit thicker, maybe something like this, until I found the right one. This is Ellen as Goldilocks. This bed is too small, this bed is too soft, this bed is just right. The fabrics that we use and everything that we use to this day are all based on things that I needed and wanted in the kitchen when I was a cook myself. And then picking brains of a lot of chefs, picking their brains and just being like, what do you need and want? How do you want that to be? What does that feel to you? So this pocket rips off? Okay, let's fix that. Let's reinforce it. And so it's all based on trial and error in the kitchen, which I think is the best way to develop anything. Use it, you try it, you test it, and then it works. And then when it does it, you fix it, and then it gets better. 
Bill Simmons recently interviewed David Chang on his podcast. My husband is a huge sports fan. I have to say Bill was my portal into the sports world. Anyway, David Chang made the connection between chefs and athletes. He says being a good executive chef is like being a great coach. Oh, my God. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. I totally agree. And that's so funny you say that because a lot of my designs are actually based on athletic gear. So I incorporate a lot of mesh paneling into our chef coats and where we're actually working on chef pants right now. And a lot of the fabrics that we've sourced are technical gear like fabrics. Because it is a sport. It is a fucking sport. And it is a ruthless sport where you will get taken down if you are not strong enough and persistent enough. So I I literally couldn't agree more. And when you outfit a whole cruise ship, like Headley and Bennett just did, people are united together. They become a team. We just outfitted our first cruise ship for Carnival Cruises. And it's a 700-person cruise ship. And the craziest freaking thing that I experienced on the ship because I went for the inaugural sail to sea. It was so insane, like going on every floor and seeing different people that worked on the ship wearing different aprons that I designed for them and having them all sort of work together. But it was like a different apron almost for every floor of the ship. But yet they somehow were all unified and they all made sense with each other. And as a unit, the entire ship felt more on brand I kid you not, because of the freaking aprons, which was like mind boggling for me because this has always been my dream. I want to make uniforms and make these awesome workwear outfits that people can wear and feel better about themselves. And so to see an entire ship wearing our aprons and literally being more unified visually and sort of sentimentally at the same time was a total mindfuck in the best of ways where I was like, oh my God, this is my dream. Ah! And even some of the staff on the ship were like, we've never, ever had something that was handmade, that was given to us. And it means so much because I get to write my name at the bottom of the apron and it means something to me. And all of a sudden, they were that much happier and they felt that much more part of this group, which was, you know, Carnival Cruises and Fathom, which is the name of the ship. So anyway, that was like a really great example and exciting moment for me to feel the unity of a uniformed unity apron. Well, this all makes sense. David Chang also says that chefs are in their prime from age 28 to 32. At 28, Ellen's just reaching her executive chef coaching stride. Amazing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now I'm, I sort of feel like I am the executive chef of my apron factory, right? And you're definitely the coach. You are definitely leading the troops and you got to be the shining beacon and keep your head out of the ground. That's um, easier said than done, I have to say. And pull that happiness out of them. Yeah, while still making sure that you're happy. It is a juggle and a struggle, but it's the best juggle and struggle that I could ever ask for. I love it. How do you stay happy? Exercising, honestly, hugely fuels my own internal happiness. And I also get a huge amount of joy out of helping other people. So even if it's something like having a conversation with someone or someone asks me like, how did you do it? What did you do? Taking an hour out of my day to talk to them and give them some pointers or maybe some books to read actually really makes me very happy because I like watching other people succeed too. So that's a huge way for me to get happy, to be happy and doing ridiculous things like triathlons, even though I want to kill somebody when I'm in the middle of the triathlon. 
the actual completion of it makes me very happy as well. So that, and I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I do a lot of exercise. I take vitamins. I think it's really important to take care of yourself. I sleep a lot. Like I sleep eight and a half hours a day religiously. I think all of that is a great way to maintain your sense of cool in the midst of a shit show. (laughs) After the shit show, hustle and hugs, Ellen goes home to her colorful house she built with her boyfriend. The front door is turquoise, the house is navy blue, and the sliding doors are orange. And there's her potbelly pig, Oliver. Oh my gosh. He literally is so smart and does kind of like run our household, which is a ridiculous thing to say. And he likes to lay on our couch and he likes to like lay on all of our blankets. And he used to not be able to climb up and down stairs. And we trained him using Cheerios. We would put one Cheerio on every step and he learned to go down and up. And now he like blazes up and down the stairs like a maniac, like his mother. I have this weird feeling that if you put a few Cheerios on the windowsill, Oliver might be busting through a window too someday. That energy is infectious. It just makes me want to put on an apron and get stuff done. Tick everything off the list, go for a run, then climb up into a treehouse and perhaps go ziplining. All while listening to Beyonce. You can find Ellen Bennett at headleyandbennett.com. Thank you, Ellen, for sharing your passion, your magic, your secrets, and your apron story. Please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. I would be so grateful. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Food Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Lindsay Cameron Wilson. You can like us on The Food Podcast Facebook page, and please send along any feedback to thefoodpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thanks to Jen Grant for our amazing theme song. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.